So John chapter 11, starting from verse one. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, his brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, stared, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And yet you were going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the, in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not, entered the, not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone 
Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen and, cl and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave, cl grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are, we what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them said, named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to the region near the desert to visit a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, they went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priest and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. So what's our reaction to, to death? I mean, what's our reaction to, to all the death that we, that we see around us? And we've been through these um, studies before, and I noticed that when I look back in my notes, last time uh, we looked at this, the death was a very live issue for me at that point in time. It was a, it was a month or two after my mother had died, um, and the thoughts about how do we respond to death, very, a very live issue. And it's a very live issue uh, for us now. Um, and for many people, because it's, it's, we see it all around us, and actually, um, over the last few days, the, uh, the death toll just seems to be going up and up and up. Um, at a steady state, not an increasing state, but nevertheless, it's a frightening thing to just um, watch death, death in action. And when death comes close to home, we respond in a variety of ways, maybe with numbness, maybe with tears, um, maybe with anger this sense of loss and, uh, and maybe loneliness. Um, but when we see death on this kind of scale that we've seen in the last few weeks, um, we can get a bit stupefied. <clears throat> and there's a big question. Where is God in this? Where is Jesus in this? And so today we go back to a time before the crucifixion. Um, so having celebrated Easter last week, we're, we're jumping back a few weeks um, the Jews in chapter 10 have tried to seize Jesus and, and he had withdrawn back across the Jordan River. And while he's there, this, this call comes through from his friends uh, in Bethany. Um, the, the one you love, the one you love is ill. And so today we're going to look at Jesus' reactions to death. Um, initially, Jesus delays. 
How odd. Um, why on earth would he do that? And then when he gets there, his, his first reaction is to get angry. Why on earth would he get angry? Who is he angry at? And we see Jesus weep. And yet he could and he will change the situation. Why on earth should he weep? And only when he's responded in those three ways does Jesus bring new life. And then, excitingly, we, we see him take death by the scruff of the neck uh, and make it obey his command. But in the process of doing this, he sets in train his own death. And in the midst of this, he makes a claim. He says, I am the resurrection um, and the life. So let's just look at those in turn briefly. Jesus delays. He gets this coded message from Bethany, the one you love is ill. I think it's kind of deliberately obscure um, so as to not get Lazarus or Jesus into trouble at this time. Probably designed to not alert the authorities, but to let him know that Lazarus is really ill. And, and Jesus' response is puzzling uh, because his initial reaction is to not go. But his initial response, rather, is to not go. Well, he's not going immediately. And, and in those first few verses uh, of the chapter, he, he makes two assertions. So Lazarus was ill. The sister said, word, Lord, the one you love is ill. He heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. That's the first thing he says. Death will not become the final outcome. And the second thing he says is it is for God's glory and so that God's son may be glorified through it. So he says these two things. It won't end in death. And he says, but it will turn out uh, for God's glory. Do you remember he said something similar uh, about the blind man? He said, well, the, the wisest man born blind so that God may be glorified. Just gives us a, a hint early on that maybe God's glory is the most important thing that's happening here. And we read that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was um, two more days. He really loves them. And so he stays put. How bizarre. These two days, um, he stays there. These days are um, unnecessary. Even, even unkind um, in human terms. But in Jesus' mind, they are necessary days. They are necessary for God's plan to work out. They're necessary uh, for God's glory and his kindness um, to be displayed. So just think about that for a minute. When you're in a situation and you're wondering why has Jesus not turned up yet? Or you're thinking, um, why has not God done something about this? It is because he loves you um, that he delays. It is because he loves you that he delays. He is producing something better than your immediate comfort. I know that's hard to take, but he's producing something better and that better thing will be his glory, and that better thing will be your greater faith and your greater maturity.
So eventually, Jesus, Jesus goes. And the disciples know that's going uh, to put them in, in jeopardy. I love this little comment from, from Thomas, uh, verse 16. Let us also go that we may die with him. Um, in what tone of voice um, do you think Thomas said that? Um, do you think he was kind of gung-ho and he was all for it? Let's go so that we may die with him. Or do you think he's kind of, I think, being Thomas, it's kind of a bit kind of cynical, ironic. Oh, let's go. So we can die with him. Great. I think that's probably the tone. And the disciples know, though, one way or another, uh, that this is going to put them in jeopardy. And then we can read that by this time, Jesus knows supernaturally that, that Lazarus is dead. In the middle of that little conversation, verse 14, uh, Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. And he is glad. How, how bizarre. Read verse 14 um, and 15. Lazarus is dead, he says, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Come back to this point we made a moment ago. There is a better outcome than Jesus stopping Lazarus dying, and that is the disciples having greater faith. So Jesus' first response is to delays, and, and then he goes. We don't know what his exact um, travel time was, but by the time he gets there, Lazarus is four days gone. He's been in the tomb for four days. So the Jews understood, uh, like a lot of ancient peoples, that the soul hovered around the body uh, for three days, but left on the fourth day as the body began to decay. So Lazarus is gone. He's really gone. His, his spirit is gone. There were three days prescribed for intense mourning. It's finished. The funeral is winding down. Three days was an appropriate time to stay uh, and be a guest in somebody's house. Um, that time is over, and so uh, the mourners will be mourners will be heading home. So, by any measure, he's late. He's come um, after the event. Martha comes out to meet him, and she says to him, this verse twenty-one: "If you'd been here, my brother would not have died." She believes that uh, Jesus. Uh, can heal. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you, you ask. So I don't know, what is she thinking? Later on, here she, she seems to imply that she realizes Jesus can raise the dead, but yet later on she's a bit skeptical. Jesus says to her, um, Your brother will rise again. Um, Martha gets kind of in this context the, uh, the theological explanation. Um, and Jesus says, I am. The resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she says, Yes, I believe. I believe that you're the Messiah, uh, the Son of God who's come into the world. So Martha believes that there will be a resurrection in, in some general future sense. That was the belief of the Pharisees. But Jesus wants her to know that resurrection life is, is available now. I'll come back to that thought in a minute. Jesus calls for Mary. Mary's a, a stayed at home. She comes out to meet him. She says the same thing. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus' response uh, is again surprising. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And where have you laid me asked? So Mary says the same thing, if you've been here. Um, and she gets a different response uh, from Jesus. Maybe it's to do with their different personalities. Um, she gets a kind of more personal response. Just it draws out of Jesus uh, his, his, his compassion. Um, and he simply asks, uh, where have you laid him? Let, let's go and see. And I think it's just a little sign that Jesus is the, kind of like the complete pastor. He, he knows what each person needs. But what happens next is quite surprising. Um, Jesus gets angry. Actually, he is outraged beyond words. The, the, the literal text means he, he, he was outraged. What is he angry with when he comes to the tomb and he sees where Lazarus is buried? Why on earth would he, would he get angry? Well, he's angry, first of all, with death. Because death is not how the world should be. Death is a product of, of the fall. Death should not have been. Death is unnatural. Death is something uh, God did, did not intend for his perfect creation uh, as it was made. So Jesus is angry that death should exist at all. Angry that it should have come and caused all this pain to his creation. But he's also angry at Satan. I think he's angry that that original liar, that Satan was the con man, the original uh, conner who conned uh, God's good creation into wanting to live life their own way, which brought about the curse of death. So Jesus hates the fact that death exists. And he hates the fact that it hurts his friend. And only after all these responses does Jesus weep. In verse 34. Come and see, they say, come and see where he is. And we get in verse 34. It's well known as the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Well, actually, it's a much more powerful word than that. Jesus burst into tears. Burst into tears. And it's really intriguing, isn't it? This interplay between the sovereign will of Jesus and the outcome for his friends. He's delayed. We could argue but by delaying, he's, he's allowed Lazarus to die. And coming to the graveside, uh, he, he weeps. Whatever you're going through at the moment, Jesus is in no way dispassionate to your situation. You might be in a situation where you want to argue that his, his inaction has caused it. He could have done something about it. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But here it's inescapable for Lazarus that Jesus' Jesus' lack of action has caused it. But Jesus is not dispassionate to whatever you're going through. Whatever you're going through, he has acted out of love. But he's acted for the glory of God. And the glory of God is better served by you growing in faith. Glory of God is better served by your faith being tested and being shown to be true 
and real than you being comforted and all your situations resolved at this point in time. He's acted out of love and he's acted because the glory of God is better served by you growing and becoming more like Jesus than it is by a comfortable life here and now. So Jesus is not disinterested in your life, in your situation. He does hate the fact that sin means there is no painless path through life. But he's not dispassionate. He feels with you. And when the time is right, he intervenes. And Jesus intervenes here by bringing new life to, to Lazarus. So only after expressing his grief does Jesus act. Take away the stone, he says. And, and, and Martha says it's four days. And four days is when it starts to decay. She says it's going to smell. And uh, Jesus prays. Lost where it is now. He says in, in verse um, 41, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. So just very briefly, three, three things about how Jesus prays. He prays to his father. That's where our prayers should go. Our father, through Christ, he prays with thanks. Thanks that he's always, that you always hear, that God always hears. And he's praying in a way that benefits that those people around him might have faith. I think that's worth thinking about. When you're praying, what are you praying for? in these contexts where you know there are people who are suffering um, and Jesus doesn't seem to have intervened, that you can still pray to the Father with thanksgiving um, that the situation will produce faith in them. And then he commands and he says, Lazarus, um, come out. And Lazarus wasn't mummified, he was wrapped in a big sheet and he would have been tied at the hands and, and the feet. Um, and so Lazarus, I imagine, kind of shuffles out. Um, and Jesus says, take, take your grave clothes off. Jesus is, he says, the resurrection of the life. He is the word of God, who called life and light into being at the, at the beginning. He is the original life giver, and his words cannot be resisted. And so when he says, Lazarus, come out, his, his very words cause the dead to be raised, and Lazarus to come out of the tomb. So think about it. This is what the prayers of Jesus uh, achieve. What do you want to bring to the risen Jesus who offers to pray for you, to intercede for you, if this is the kind of answer that the prayers of Jesus bring? What do you want to bring before him today if the kind of answer you get when Jesus prays? is resurrection from the dead. Maybe you want to think about that during the day. Think about it too when you get the little things come up on the WhatsApp um, and you say, yes, I'll pray for you. And just a, just a moment's thought about that. Very easy, I find, um, to say that and, and not do it. So usually what I do in those kind of situations, somebody says, will you pray for this? You either need to write it down somewhere on a list for prayer, this is what I find, or you need to do it there and then in that moment. Um, and if you do it there and then in that moment, you can say, I've prayed this for you um, just, just now. Now let's not be caught out saying we're going to pray and, and not doing it. Um, but let's bring those things 
to Jesus, remembering what his power can do. But the important lesson actually from this passage is that Jesus brings new life to you and I in a very similar way that he does to Lazarus, but spiritually, not physically. You were once a spiritual corpse. I hope you're not still a spiritual corpse, but you were once. Paul said to the Ephesians, and he could have said it was, uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. There was a time when you were dead, you were a spiritual corpse. You have been called by Jesus to new life in a similar way that uh, Jesus says to Lazarus, come out, uh, and, and he raises up to new life. Peter says you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. At some point, I trust in your life, you heard the gospel, you heard Jesus saying, trust me, trust what I've done on the cross, cross and have new life, a new spiritual life. And, and, and when you heard that, new life was created in you when you trusted Christ. You were, you were made alive. I trust that's happened for you. You've been made alive. Paul continues in that Ephesians 2 passage, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So today, if you've, if you've trusted Jesus, you have um, eternal life. Jesus offers you eternal life, but eternal is, is not actually a, a description of, um, not a description of the duration of that new life. It's a description of its quality. So eternal life is, is more literally life of eternity, life of the age to come, hence what we did with the kids earlier on. So yes, eternal life goes on forever, but actually, the, literally, this is life of the age, life of the age to come. It is life of, sorry, I'm going a bit weird. It is life of heaven, of the new creation, of the next age, breaking through into your life now. It is a different quality of life. So yes, it's still an earthly existence uh, that we live. We still have our natural lives. But when you're born again, when you've been called by Jesus to new life and to come out of the tomb, you have life with a new heart. Life with a new heart. You're made new on the inside with a heart that wants to obey Christ uh, and a heart that wants to be with his people. You're given the spirit of God to live uh, within you and direct you and prompt you and, and drive you to new life. And it is life where the spirit of God wants to bring to you something of this life of heaven. And think about it. And uh, maybe this afternoon, if you haven't thought about it before, read through Revelation uh, 4, 5, and 6. Read, read through Revelation 21 and 22. And think about the life of heaven. What is going on there? It is a life focused on worship. It's a life with a new joy in it. It's a life where, where all its joy is to, is, is to focus on the Lord and to praise him and to give glory to him. And by the Spirit, he produces the same thing in us um, in this life. It is a life that sees the truth in a new way. It is a life where we see God reigning and we see Christ as the lion and the lamb. So what happens in heaven and we see that. 
spiritually we see that with the eyes of our heart as the spirit works in us that's this is eternal life life of the age to come in heaven there is a total and perfect obedience and now by the spirit we're becoming more practically like christ and in heaven there is a new and perfect uh, 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 community where everyone is at peace and there's no war or strife and by the spirit with this new community we have a we have a taste of that now that's our instinct and our impulse is to be together and be community so i trust that this life of the age to come is, is, is working in you even today the irony is that by doing this by demonstrating that he is the resurrection and the life, Jesus provokes his own death. Very briefly, um, he comes near to Jerusalem, word gets to the Jewish leaders, and they decide that Jesus must die. And we know where this ends. It ends at the cross. And we may think that Jesus sometimes is inactive. It doesn't look like Jesus is being um, active energetically uh, in our lives now. But let us remember this inaction of Jesus as we celebrated a week or so ago. We know, don't we, that Jesus is God and he's indestructible. We know he can only be led away to death if he allows it to happen. We know that he can only be nailed to a cross if he acquiesces to the nails. We know he can only die if he gives up his spirit. There is a sense that Jesus is inactive, unresisting. At this point in time, and the result is he goes to the cross. Another cross, the father's in action. The father refuses to save him. The father refuses to give him uh, a way out. And the inaction of the father and the son end up in sin, your sin and my sin being atoned for. So be careful when you accuse God of, uh, of inaction. It was this inaction in a sense uh, at this point in time that meant that your sin and mine is atoned for. So Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Death is all around us. Do we have an answer? Yes, we do. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He offers you spiritual resurrection and life now. He offers you something of the life of the next age now produced in you by the Spirit and on the day he returns. He offers you a life of total worship, total truth, total obedience and total community. So let's not settle for too little. Let's not settle for the Christian life as just an ordinary human life with a bit of an assurance, an insurance policy tacked on. I encourage you today to enter into eternal life, life of the age to come. And if you don't see it, then ask for it. And ask for it in Jesus' name. Let me pray. Father God, we want this eternal life. By that we don't mean we want just a normal human existence and then, and then come and live with you in heaven. What we want is something of that life of the next age now. We want your spirit to come and give us a foretaste 
foretaste of what it's like to want to obey Christ, a, a foretaste of what it's like to be in real community, a foretaste of what it's like to see Jesus enthroned, a foretaste of what it's like to really worship you, and have our hearts and imaginations gripped by the worship of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please give us a taste of that today, in Jesus' name. Amen.